Chapter Four of Curly Carson Listens In by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Four A Game for Two. As Curly slipped noiselessly through the door into the secret tower room, he was seized by the arm and dragged into his chair. Man, where have you been? It was Cole's Masters. He spoke in an excited whisper listen to that it's the second message he'll repeat it again they always do as curly listened his face grew grave with concern the message came from the head station of the radiophone secret service bureau that station was located in new york the message was a reprimand kindly friendly but firmly it told Curly that for two nights now, someone in his area had been breaking in on 600. Coast-to-ship messages had been disturbed. Once, an SOS from a disabled fishing schooner had barely escaped being lost. Something must be done about it at once. By Curly. In Chicago. With parted lips and bated breath, Curly listened to the messages that came to him in code. Then, with trembling fingers, he adjusted a lever, touched a button, turned a screw, and dictated to a station in another part of the city his answering okay to the message. Of course, he said to Coles, as he lifted the receiver from his head, that means that this fellow that races all over the map has been at it again tonight. About an hour ago, said Coles, wrinkling his brow. What did you do about it? What was there to do? I tried to locate him. He danced about, first here, then there. I marked his locations. They were never the same. See? He pointed to the map. I numbered them. He spoke from five different points. What did he say? It's all written down there, Coles motioned to a pad. Can't make head nor tail of it. Something about a map, an airplane, a boat, and a lot of gold. What kind of voice? Sounded young. Some boy in late teens, I'd say. Though it might have been a girl. She might have changed her voice to disguise it. You can't tell. Had two cases like that in the last three weeks. You never can tell about voices. No, said Curly thoughtfully. You never can tell. That's about the only thing you can be sure of in this strange old world. You can always be sure that you never can tell. Thing that looks like one thing always turns out to be something else. Point is, he continued after a moment's deep thought, somebody's getting past our guard, slamming us right in the nose, and we're not doing a thing about it. Don't look like we could. I've got a theory, but you can't go searching the estate of the richest man in your city just on theory you got to have facts to back you up. And mighty definite facts, too. Yes, that's right, agreed Coles. But what do you make out of all this babble about airplane, map, ship, and much gold? Do you suppose it's some smuggling scheme? Some plan to get a lot of Russian or Austrian jewels into the country without paying duty, or something like that? I don't make anything out of it, said Curly rather sharply. And for the time, I don't jolly much care. The thing I'm interested in is the fact that we're being beaten. 
that the air about us is being torn to shreds every night by some careless or criminal person, that we're getting a black eye and a reprimand from the department, that sea traffic is being interrupted, that lives are being imperiled, and we can't seem to do anything about it. That's what's turning my liver dark black. He pounded the desk before him, until instruments rattled and wires sang. But how you are going to catch a fellow when he goes tearing all over the map, said Curly more calmly, is exactly what I don't know. You go down and get a bite of chow. No, go on home and go to bed. I'll take the rest of the shift. I want to think. I think best when I'm alone, when the wires sing me a song, when the air whispers to me out of the night, when the ghosts of dead radio men, ghosts of operators who joked with death when the sea was reaching up mighty arms to drag them down, come back to talk to me. That's when I think best. These whispering ghosts tell me things. When I sit here, all asleep but my ears, things seem to come to me. Bah, said Cole's masters, shivering. You give me the creeps. Drawing on his coat, he slipped out of the door, leaving Curly slumped down in his chair, already all asleep but his wonderful ears. For a full hour he sat lumped up there, seeming scarcely to breathe, stirring now and then as in sleep. He continued to listen and to dream. Then suddenly he sat up with a start to exclaim out loud, Yes, that's it. Catch a thief with a thief. Catch a radiophone with a radiophone. A radiophone on wheels? That's a game two can play at. I'll do it. Tomorrow night. Snapping up a telephone receiver, he murmured, Central 662. A moment later he tuned an instrument and threw on a switch. Waitman there? he inquired. Asleep? Wake him up. This is Curly Carson. Yes, it's important. No. I'll tell you. Don't bother to wake him now. Have him over at the coffee shop at five bells. The coffee shop. He'll know. Don't fail. It's important. He snapped down the receiver. Waitman was the radio mechanic assigned to his station. He would have unusual and important work to do that day. He slumped down again in his chair, but did not remain in that position many minutes. From one of the loudspeakers came a persistent whisper. Hello? Hello, Curly. You there? The girlish voice purred, the one that had whispered to him before. I saw you last night. That was dangerous. Why did you do it? Nearly got me in bad. Not quite. He almost got you. The whisper ceased. Adjusting the campus coil, Curly sat at strained attention. I wish I knew you were listening, came again. It's hard to be whispering into the night and not knowing you're being heard. Curly's fingers moved nervously over a tuner knob. He was sorely tempted to tune in and flash an answering OK, if nothing more. But no, he drew his hands resolutely back. It was not wise. There was danger in it. This might be a trap. They might locate his secret tower room by that single OK. Then disaster would follow. The whisper came again. You're clever, Curly. Awfully clever. 
The way you doubled over and turned yourself wrong side out was great. But please do be careful. It's big, Curly, big. Again the whisper rose almost to speaking tone. And he is a terribly determined man. Wouldn't stop at anything. The whisper ceased. For a moment Curly sat there, lost in reflection. Then he muttered savagely, Oh, get off the air, you little whispering mystery. You're spoiling my technique. Your very terrible friend didn't send any message tonight, and the one he sent before hasn't got us into any trouble. I've got to forget you and go after this moving fellow who sends six hundred. As if in answer to his challenge, the loudspeaker to his right, the one tuned to twelve hundred, began to rattle. Then, in the full, determined tones of a man accustomed to speak with authority, there came, Calm night! Three times, over five thousand miles of air, this great voice bellowed its message. The silence which followed was ghostly. Cold perspiration stood out on Curly's brow. It was not necessary for him to calculate the location from which this message was sent. He knew that it had come from the hotel, and it had. Next thing, he told himself with a groan, the International Service will be on my back for letting that lion roar. I ought to turn that over to the police, but I won't. Not just yet. End of chapter 4